Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. I've been running for a few years now and have the privilege of meeting many incredible runners on my travels all across the country. This podcast is intended to share those amazing conversations. And welcome back. I am here with Ladia Albertson-Junkins. Ladia, thanks so much for joining today. Hey, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, so first question, who is Ladia? Oh, wow. We're... <laughs> We're diving right in. Yeah. Oh, geez. Um that's a great question. I hope we answer that a little bit over this conversation. <laughs> awesome. So, um, so this podcast is all about exploring the why of what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. So I love sort of digging into what it takes for uh, a high-level athlete to um, understand, you know, what, what it is that keeps them going. So let's you know, before we dive into that, let's back up a little bit. Why did you go for your first run? Or do, do you remember your first run? I don't think I remember my very first run. I grew up just being outside all the time, had a pretty big yard, was really fortunate to grow up kind of on the outskirts of town, almost in the country. So I had a lot of space to run growing up and played a lot of tag with friends on the playground. I played soccer and basketball, so did a lot of running then. My uncle was a, really into marathons, and I remember going on a couple runs with him. Maybe I was nine or ten um, and being really inspired by him and thinking it was just the coolest thing that he ran marathons. And then my stepdad would take me running occasionally as well. And so how did that progress to um, running marathons and, and beyond? Yeah. Um, well, it really did start just for the pure joy of running and moving my body. Um, and that kind of evolved into competitive team sports. So playing on soccer teams and basketball teams. And it was actually my eighth grade eighth grade was my first introduction to track and field at the high school level. My middle school gym teacher at the time was a track and field coach with the high school. And we had done the mile for gym class and he saw potential in me. And so recruited me to run with the high schoolers, which was pretty unusual at my school. It was a very large school. So middle schoolers often didn't run with high schoolers. Um, mm -hmm. But I was able to do that, and I had a lot of fun with it. And then when I didn't make the varsity soccer team my freshman year of high school, I went out for the cross-country team and never looked back after that. So what was it about cross-country and, and running at that time that you were, um, that you were loving? I think cross-country just reminded me of – the pure joy of running and the reasons I had been running since I could remember in the first place. So growing mm -hmm. up out, you know, almost in the country and just having green grassy hills to run up and down and explore the woods in our backyard and go running with my stepdad, which usually involved some sort of trail. Um, yeah, it just, it was kind of, the most enjoyable form of running for me. Cool. So 
let's fast forward a few years. Um, now you've run a handful of marathons and ultras and hundred milers. Um, we had a fun chat after you ran Boston. Um, was that 2019? I think. Yeah. Last yeah. year. Yep. Um, what was, what was that experience? Like, I love how you described it. Oh, wow. Boston was, I, I've always in, enjoyed running for the way that it brings people together, but mm -hmm. Boston brings people together in a way I had never seen before with my own eyes. I was just blown away by the number of people who came out to spectate, just the velocity of the cheering, um, everything about it was so full of energy and spirit and passion. And it was kind of like running a hundred meter dash for 26.2 <laughs> miles. <laughs> um, it was incredibly invigorating and also overstimulating, which yeah. I realized pretty quickly or early on in the run that I was going to need to really manage that stimulation if I wanted to actually make it to the finish line. Mm -hmm. um, but that's part of the fun of it, I think, is figuring out when to really engage and tune in with the fans and the runners around you, and then also figure out when you need to kind of turn inward and find some calmer moments. And you're constantly balancing that at Boston. Cool. So when I told um, David, my coach, David Roach, my coach, that we were doing this podcast, his his response was awesome. Lottie is one of the best humans of all times, and I think she should be president of the oh world. <laughs> <laughs> and I and and I agree. Um, oh boy! <laughs> so so I've wanted to have you on this podcast because you bring so much joy and happiness and hope to people. Uh, through social media and through, you know, how you approach living life. And I think in a time like this, we could all learn a thing or two about um, pr like giving presence and being present and and focusing on what we can do. And the reason I say that, uh, and so for background, I've talked a lot with uh, with guests on this podcast about the experience I had last year with loss and with having a, a a pretty shitty year um on the personal side of things and i continually reference a couple of friends that helped me through that so for people who are listening ladia is one of those people that helped me through it um and so first i want to say thank you for that because um i i vividly remember being in the bathroom of my grandparents house and getting a text from you before I went to talk to my grandpa for the last time. And I don't know that I could have done that without the support that, that you gave me on that day and in the prior weeks and months. So first, thank you. <laughs> that was all amazing. And second, I want to know, like, where where is your head at in a time like this where where hope is the only thing that, you know, we can have and, and we have to be thinking of, um, you know, being appreciative and, and what we can do. You know, we, we can still run. Um, people in Europe can't do that. So where, where are you at mentally with, with, you know, where we're at today? Yeah. Well, thank you for bringing that up, Jonathan. And I just want to say, Thank you for letting me be a part of that time in your life for you. Um, you know, when when you are losing someone who means so much to you, you don't have to let other people into that journey. And I think it says a lot about you that you were willing to let people in during that time. And I hope that what I helped you see was the strength already within you and just affirm that um, you did that without my help. You could have done it without a text message from me. Um, but I hope what that little message for you did was just remind you how strong and brave you already are. Um, and I have to say that 
during this time, especially, I just am constantly thinking of Gabe and everything that I've learned about hope. I've learned largely through her and through my own experiences with loss and grief and depression and the highs and lows that all of us endure over a lifetime. Um, And what strikes me so much about the way Gabe lived her life is that she actively continued to choose hope no matter how much fear she was feeling. And she felt a lot of it, plenty of it. The fear never went away and it really never does. I don't think for any of us, if we're being honest with ourselves. Um, And she chose to hang on to hope along with that fear. And I think a lot of us can learn so much from the way she did that. For sure. So I think that that, that dichotomy is perfect. Um, there's, there have been a lot of articles that have come out recently that say, you know, um, my friend Zoe wrote one in trail runner and David writes a lot in trail runner along the same lines. Like you have to acknowledge that it's okay to not feel great. And you can also, you know, you can have multiple emotions at the same time. So you can have hope and you can have fear in parallel. Um, it doesn't have to be one without the other, right? Definitely. Yes. So what I want to know is like, how, how do we get there? How do we, for people that are in that state of fear, how do we bring hope into it? What are, what were some of the things that, that you learned, you know, over the last couple of years that can be practical and, and, pragmatic ways to bring that hope to life. Yeah. I think, and I speak only from my personal experience, of course. And for me, it starts with acknowledging the fear and naming it and facing it. And that's something Gabe really showed me how to do through her own example. Um, There were times Earlier in my life, I think when I wasn't willing to acknowledge fear or face it, and instead I avoided it and tried to pretend it wasn't there. And that oftentimes triggers a much different cascade of responses than facing it and acknowledging it and accepting that you're going to be carrying it with you and you don't have control over whether it exists or not, but you do have control over your response to it. And for Gabe, that response was hope. I love that. Um, So I was having a conversation with a coworker last night and she had said that she just went to uh, a therapist and her experience was much needed. And she said that, um, I asked her how, how she was feeling and, and how she was doing. And she said that um, she always says that pain demands to be felt because it's going to find its way out. So you might as well feel it. So I think that jives with, you know, giving a name to it and acknowledging that it's there and letting that be okay. Definitely. I love that. And you can replace the word pain with so many different things. It's the same with grief. Grief demands to be felt loss demands to be felt and joy demands to be felt. So yeah, I think that's a really great way of putting it. Cool. What's bringing you joy today? My dog farmer, he brings me (laughs) joy every moment of every day. And one amazing part of all this stay at home stuff is that I get to spend all my (laughs) moments with the wonderful and adorable farmer, the dog, um, being able to spend so much time with my husband brings me so much joy. Um, being able to connect with friends in new ways is bringing me so much joy. Um, being able to get outside and move my body is bringing me so much joy. And I feel so much gratitude that I can still do it at this point. And I feel so much gratitude that other people are still able to do it to some extent. And obviously that's not the case everywhere. Um, But I'm grateful for the people who are able to continue moving their bodies outside. Um, I 
feel so much gratitude that I'm able to help in small ways or what I hope is helpful in small ways, like supporting small businesses, buying gift cards, um, still doing takeout where it's allowed, um, doing picking up groceries, delivering groceries for people in the community as needed, um, donating to there's a really huge response fund in, in Seattle um, that is supporting local organizations in really a flexible and productive way to meet the needs as of people as they change. Um, so I'm just grateful for the small ways that I can hopefully help and also acknowledging that there's a lot of ways I can't be of immediate help and hopefully I can offer my prayers and um, good vibes and just keep people in my thought and in my heart. And um, I think a lot about people for whom home isn't a safe place to be and people for whom shelter and food aren't guaranteed and who don't know how they're going to get their next meal. Um, and I am still grappling with how I could help people with that kind of need in some small way. Um, so if you have any thoughts on that, I'd, I'd love to hear them. Yeah, I think I think a lot of us are in a strange place where we want to do as much as possible to help. And I, I find myself like spending more than I normally would um, mm-hmm. tr- yeah. trying to like do my part. And I think we have to realize that um, – you know, just like training is, is a, um, it's a, it's a long, it like every, every little day is a brick in the wall and every person who's contributing to their local economy or to the food bank or to whatever it might be, that's, that's the, um, that's us contributing. So I, I think it's hard because we want to do, we want to, uh, Justin just texted me. What, what funny timing! Um, we want to do everything, and um, and we want to help in as many ways as possible. And I think that uh, I think that's good. But I think we also have to realize um, mobilizing other people is is just as helpful, if not more, so we can have a snowball effect. Because you know, sure, we could spend you know two hundred dollars a week supporting local businesses and and takeout and groceries and stuff, or we can do, do something similar and, you know, help other people understand the importance of, you know, uh, doing takeout if you can afford it or buying gift cards, if you can afford it or donating your, your time or delivering food to people or things like that. And I think it's a, it's a, a power in numbers type, um, type situation where, Definitely. Um, the more the more we can do, and the more people we can inspire to do something, uh, that's how we have an impact for sure. Yeah, I completely agree, and that's one thing I've been really heartened by is just seeing the broad community response to this. It really does feel like most people, if not everybody, wants to do their part and help out in some small way, and honestly, that includes reaching out to the people you care about. And it really just overwhelmingly seems like people are, are really trying to do that. Um, and it's a beautiful thing. Do you feel more connected than ever before, despite being isolated? <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I do, too. <laughs> That's awesome. It's funny. It's like, I, so I had, I did a happy hour with my college friends um, last weekend. And at the end of it, there were 10 of us on the call. And at the end of it, we acknowledged that it had been eight years since we'd all been in the same room together. Uh, all 10 of us, we had people from New York, from Boston and from Korea. And literally the last time we were all together was the spring or the summer we graduated. And we, we had these capabilities, you know, for the last eight years to do a Zoom call, but it takes it takes something to make a change. And I hope that um, I hope that that's a change that that has lasting power or la- staying power. I hope so, too. That's so beautiful. I love that so much. And I think it 
from what I can tell, it seems like a lot of people are having that experience and it's Mm -hmm. really special. What are some of the things that you've been doing to try and stay connected? I feel like I'm constantly texting people. (laughs) It almost to a point where I need to force myself to take breaks and kind of put (laughs) my phone aside because it can also get to be too much. Um, Right. But yeah, and I've been doing Zoom. Um, I don't want to call them meetings because they're with friends. So Zoom gatherings. Um, but I've also – and some Zoom happy hours with coworkers. It's been great. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, just being able to spend so much quality time with my husband, Adam. That in itself is invaluable. And I recognize that I may never get this much time alone with him ever again. So mm-hmm. we're just really trying to – appreciate it and savor it and make the most of it. That's awesome. I saw a tweet that said, um, now I get why dogs are so excited to go outside when we get home. <laughs> well, that's so great. Yes, <laughs> like, totally. It's like, yeah, I'm like going out once every two days. And every time I go outside for 20 minutes, it's like, yeah, now I get it. <laughs> yeah, you're bouncing off the trees. Exactly. Your tail is wagging for sure. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um, So something I've wondered, is gratitude something that you practice intentionally or is that part of who you are and it just sort of happens? It feels really organic for me at this point. And I'll say that I think that came from being really intentional about it during a period of my life when I was really struggling and in a really dark place. And being intentional about gratitude is a big part of what helped me through and out of that darkness. But that was about, gosh, probably over 10 years ago now at this point. Um, Mm -hmm. And since then, it's just been a part of how I live my life. Cool. And how does running play into or does running play into that? Definitely. I would say running for me feels very much like an expression of that gratitude. It's the way that I express appreciation for the fact that I can run, for the fact that I can get outside, for the fact that I can challenge myself in these amazing ways and connect with people in these amazing ways. Um, And even when I'm training for a specific race or a specific distance, the thing that gets me out the door every day and the thing that I focus on the most, no matter what kind of the point of it is, is that gratitude and the fact that this is something that is by no means guaranteed. It could be, quote unquote, taken away from me, you know, tomorrow um, at any Quite point, literally. anything can change. Yeah. Well, especially now, but I mean, even right. before all of this, anything can change. And again, that's something that I really learned through my own losses in my life. And then also through Gabe's experience um, where her cancer, you know, she would find out that her cancer was back and all of a sudden everything would change and she would have to, you know, whether that was had to get a procedure the very next week and that's the end of her track season and, or, you know, we need to do this big surgery in three months and it's going to be a four month recovery. So, you know, trainings on hold, racing's on hold, that sort of thing. I mean, just there's a lot of reminders in life that we need to appreciate what we have while we have it. For sure. So Gabe's foundation is called Brave Like Gabe. Um, what is what is bravery to you? what is bravery to you? Bravery is Gabe Grunwald and everyone who follows, you know, the example that she, she set and who finds bravery within themselves. And sometimes that's what you have to do in order to get through really, really tough times in your life. And I think it's also what you have to do to stay grateful and appreciative of what you have when everything's going really, really well. Um, so it's really seen through a compassionate lens. I love that. Um, how d- how did your running evolve to being able to run a hundred miles in a race? 
if you have the answer to that, I would love to hear it <laughs> because you probably know as much as I know it. I mean, it still blows my mind that I traveled a hundred miles on my feet at one time. Um, <laughs> what was that like? Yeah. Well, so my experience was probably really unique in some ways and really universal in others. Um, as is probably that could probably be said of anything, right? Um, but what I mean by that is, so I ran Western States last year in 2019, and that was less than a month after Gabe died, and I was able to spend Gabe's final 10 days in Minnesota. Much of that time was with her, um, and I'm eternally grateful for that. It's still to this day, like the best gift that I've ever received and probably ever will to be able to spend Mm -hmm. that time with her. Um, And then after she died, as you know, and as a lot of people, as everybody knows, you know, a lot of things happen with planning and arranging for the funeral and memorials. And then also with the foundation, there was just a lot going on. And Western States was really the first time after Gabe died that I had time to myself And so I really approached it as this huge gift of being able to spend 100 miles with my best friend, Gabe, and also to start to try to process um, everything that had just happened. And that wasn't even that happened in the last month, but also over the past 10 years since Gabe was first diagnosed and then even starting before that. So it was it was moving meditation essentially. It really was. Yeah. Yeah, and just it it was my way of feeling close to Gabe and I mean I really mean it when I say like processing just especially the decline in her health that she experienced over the preceding I would say three to four months before she died. Um, She had started a new experimental drug. It was kind of the last option on the table for her and it had really harsh side effects. And so she was in a lot of pain and discomfort for those couple of months and, you know, constantly nauseous, vomiting a lot, um, you know, kind of achy joints, some skin things. It was really brutal. And she was absolutely exhausted. The fatigue was just all consuming. And that in itself really made it hard mentally, emotionally, and spiritually for her. And so, um, you know, I just, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about that and, and, I mean, I know this sounds woo-woo, but like talking to her about it um, during the Western States. No, I, I I know what you mean by that. So I ran rim to rim to rim in October and I had a section of running where I felt like it was an out-of-body experience and I was present. I was running with my friend Tony and this was like mile 30. And I had never run more than 31 miles in my life. I had never been on my feet for more than seven hours. And this was like 10 10 hours in, maybe 11 hours in. So it was like way beyond anything I'd ever experienced. And I was was running effortless seven-minute miles, 730 miles. And I mean, we were going like softly downhill in the middle of the – in the middle of the canyon coming back. But I was like, I I couldn't feel anything physically. Um, and I was having, I was having a conversation with my friend, Tony and Tony and I spent a lot of time traveling together and, and we spent a lot of time in cars or running, um, together. And so, you know, you skip, you can only, you can only make small talk work for so long, you know, when you're in a car with someone for five hours or when you're running with someone for seven hours. And so we, we were talking about all this kind of stuff and gratitude and loss and community and this and that. And 
all of a sudden I like got the chills and um, I just had this like feeling that my grandpa was there and, and the, and I was just like, I can't explain what it felt like, but I know exactly what you're saying. And I was, I was talking to him and I, I was, I knew he was proud of me and I knew he was um, watching me have, you know, the best day of my life uh, from, from an adventure standpoint. And um, it's like, that's what we live for. Like to be able to have those like out of body, maybe it's flow, maybe it's, you know, whatever, but you can't plan for that. You can't, um, you can't say, Oh, I'm going to go out on the river today and achieve flow. Uh, it just happens. And I had a conver- I had a conversation with Magda on the podcast and, um, and I think it was like episode 10 or it was a way, way early. Um, and she was like, you might only get that like once or twice or a handful of times in, in your running career. And when you have it, like, that's what, that's what we live for. Definitely. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. And yeah. and I also would say too, like we won't have those experiences with our loved ones all the time either, right? So mm-hmm. it just underscores you and you it sounds like you knew it when it was happening, what a gift it was. Like yeah. this right here, this is I am with my grandpa right now. And I yeah. don't care what anyone else would think about that or say about this. Like I know with Mm -hmm. every piece of me that I am with my grandpa right now. And it's such a gift. I mean, that's really the only way of describing it. And I've had that like several times with Gabe and it just makes me so happy. I'm smiling ear to ear right now (laughs) after you share that story. I can Um, feel it. (laughs) Yeah. that's so that's so wonderful and it's it's funny because my western states experience did have moments of that and it also had many many more moments of pretty um just like very intense physical and emotional discomfort which is not yeah. surprising i mean anytime you travel 100 miles it's going to be really uncomfortable right. for a really long time um and but there were several points. It was like such a journey with her that I would never replace. I would like never give that back in a million years. And I wouldn't have wanted it any other way than the way that it was. What was, what was it like, um, climbing out from the trail onto the road and then running, uh, running onto the track and taking that three quarter lap around the track? I mean, that was the so, home. So for those, <laughs> yeah, for those, of, uh, those of you that don't know, the way that Western States works is it's like 99 miles on trail or, you know, whatever it is. And then you're, on, you're in this neighborhood and then you run uh, a half or three quarters of a lap around the, the, the placer. It's called placer high, yeah. placer high track um, into the finish line. So um, what, was, what was that journey like? That was honestly the homecoming. And I feel like in order to try to uh, adequately describe it, I have to back up a little bit and say that I things really started to unravel for me around mile 45. Uh, my quads were completely shot from all the downhill, as everybody knows and warns you about. Um And that's exactly what happened to me. Um, Also, my stomach had already, you know, gone to crap and I was puking up everything I tried to eat. Um, So that was starting at mile 45 and that lasted over 10 hours. Um, And I had many moments of like very long breaks where I would you know, sit down on the side of the trail. Um, in addition to like, just, I was moving really slowly. Um, and all of that, that whole time I was, the only thing I was thinking about was the way that Gabe had suffered. Um, Mm -hmm. and there was a moment in the middle of the night when, 
you know, my world was narrowing to this increasingly small beam of light produced by your headlamp. And I just all of a sudden had this fear of, oh my gosh, like, what if this is what it was like for Gabe when she was dying? Like, the light was just getting narrower and narrower and further and further away. And I started worrying that, like, gosh, maybe I had totally projected my own needs onto her and and just, you know, decided for myself that she was at peace. Because that was really how I had felt those last 10 days with her, like, overwhelming grace and peace, even though it was also so incredibly difficult. Uh, but it was really the grace that, like, rings like strongest in my mind from that time. And I had talked about it in the eulogy that I gave at her service. And, but in that moment out on the Western States trail, I was kind of freaking out that I had totally gotten it all wrong. And like, no, this must've been terrifying for her. And then almost equally as quickly, I started realizing that, yeah, okay. So this beam of light is getting smaller and smaller, but that is completely ignoring this vast expanse around me. So like the darkness around me and, you know, as humans, we're really trained to fear the dark and it, and we call that the unknown. Um, But I think as like spiritual beings, the darkness is the great expanse. And I think of it as benevolent and, as I started focusing less on the light and more on that expanse, I realized that I was completely surrounded by it, completely engulfed in it. And like, that's exactly what a hug is. That's exactly what an embrace and love is. Um, and it was almost like, again, I know this sounds woo woo, but I swear I, I heard her reassuring me that like, it's okay. She's okay. And it was okay. Um, And it just, it was this really interesting moment of like peace and clarity for me that like, I don't know, you know, what happens when we die and I don't know what happened when Gabe died. I can try my best to observe what I, what I observed during that time for her, but ultimately none of us can ever know. But I have to say just like what I felt in that expansiveness and that potential just felt so comforting and beautiful. And then like before I knew it, the sun was rising and because, yes, I was out there that long. Um, (laughs) The sun was rising and it was this beautiful cotton candy sunrise and Gabe loved sunsets and every like cotton candy sky that me and my friends see, you know, we always think of Gabe and it just felt like this sign from her and, you know, from whatever your higher power or higher love is like that everything is okay. And so I had that whole experience and then I got to the track and the track was honestly like that homecoming moment of like, Gabe is okay. Like we did this and I can like rest knowing that she's okay. That's amazing. What, what time did you finish? What oh time in the gosh. morning? Uh, I think it was like, a, Oh man. So I, I ran 26 hours and 41 minutes and I'm really bad at math, even though I'm a it's programmer. I don't know. I, I mean, the sun had been up for a while. <laughs> yeah. So, so it was, it was crowded is what I'm Yeah, guessing. it was. I mean, it wasn't like, it wasn't the golden hour yet. Right. So it wasn't as crowded as, as it would get, but yeah, there were a decent number of people out there for sure. So I went, um, I was at the finish line in 2018 and, um, it was incredible uh, to be there in the morning. And then we went and got breakfast and then came back for a golden hour. And just like the triumph that these people were experiencing, you know, to finish at ten fifty nine fifty, 50. Um, it was just, it was wild. Oh, I loved that part. I mean, I passed out for a solid probably hour, like t- 
the kind of passing out where I didn't even realize I had fallen asleep. I just like woke <laughs> up an hour later, but I, I was awake for golden hour cause I didn't want to miss it. And that was certainly just one of the highlights of probably all of my running experiences. That's awesome. Do you think you'll run the race again? I would love to, but I also recognize it is so difficult to get in. I may never yeah. have another chance. And you know, another thing that I have been aware of is like, I'm sure, you know, some people would hear about my experience at States and feel a little bit like, you know, why wouldn't you try to race it as hard as you could or as well as you could, you might never get another chance. And I think that's totally true. And I was fully aware of that. Um, cause I might not ever get another chance and I would love to try to race it, like really mm -hmm. race it and have, you know, the different pieces dialed more than I did. Um, but I also, like I said, wouldn't trade it for anything. And it was exactly the way that it needed to be for me. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, I've run Boston a couple, I mean, definitely a different scale, but I've run Boston a couple of times and I've raced other marathons. I've never, I've never properly raced Boston and to, to run versus to race, it's a totally different intent, right? You can you can have just as much fun, if not more fun from, I don't want to say fun running, but, um, you know, going out and being fully present with the crowd and with yourself and with what's going on around you versus, you know, head down and racing. There's definitely time for both. Um, but I think that, you know, there's plenty of time for, for, <laughs> I, I hesitate to call it fun running, but fun running. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I mean, I think it just, it just underscores that there are as many reasons for racing and for running as there are people doing it. Right. And it's in whatever your reason is, that's fine. Exactly. Yep. What are the next few years look like? What do you want to, what are some big goals you have? Um, yeah. What are some big goals you have? It's funny. I totally just made a face because I am notoriously bad at thinking about the future. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am very much a go with the flow, roll with it, yeah. see what happens kind of person. That said, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a huge privilege to be able to think about the future. And I mm -hmm. don't want to like overlook that. And I'm going to be completely honest with you. I would say the biggest thing I'm looking forward to right now is um, hopefully sooner rather than later, Adam and I would like to add to our family. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of first and foremost in terms of what I'm really focusing on right now. Mm -hmm. And then con and continuing to run, you know, whatever form that might take through the journey of adding to a family. Cool. What do you wish you knew when you started running that you know today? You ask really great questions. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, I'm tempted to say I wish I would have known more about myself, but I mm -hmm. also recognize that running is such a big part of what's helped me learn more about myself. So it's by design that I didn't know more about myself when I first started sort of like a learn learning on the go. Yeah. And just, it really is the journey and that evolution. You know, we, it's tempting to want to jump ahead and skip the hard parts, but the hard parts are a, what makes life so beautiful and textured and rich and also what make the sweet moments that much sweeter. So I think just, you know, appreciating that I'm, I am where I am. I was where I was and I don't need to change either of those things. That's awesome. And I totally agree. I, I think that the, the highs and lows are nothing without each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's so, a great way of putting it. Yeah. I, and I, both from a uh, literal standpoint, like you can't get to the top of a mountain without starting from the bottom. But um, just like that, you know, you can't, you can't experience, you know, these euphoric, amazing feelings without the dichotomy of like, wow, this sucks right now. Um, and it's not always like that. Yep. Definitely. What's your relationship w like with Justin? 
Oh, we're great buddies. Yeah, definitely. He's one of my best friends. His, um, and I think I've shared this on the podcast as well before, but his, um, both both yours and his uh, experience last year um, sort of paved the road for me with loss and grief. And I saw him um, just like, being raw and open and vulnerable with how he was dealing with everything. And I think that as a society, we don't talk about these things and we don't talk about loss and um, grief and nobody knows how to deal with it. Um, And so I had no, this was my first experience with it and I had no context for like, what do you do? Um, and so I just sort of emulated what he did, um, just being super open with it and, you know, sharing it all um, yeah. on Instagram. And uh, I found it like really therapeutic and um, and really helpful. And I mean, I guess that's my style, but um, it, the messages I got from people along the way were, were fascinating and um, basically echoed the sentiment of like (laughs) nobody talks about this what what are you supposed to do um and so i think that talk just talking in general is is always good definitely i am nodding along with you (laughs) yeah and um so i think i think that was awesome um what's a question i like to ask on the podcast as well is is what are you scared of I used to be mortified of losing my loved ones. And that's because from personal experience, having lost my dad and my stepdad, after my stepdad died, I went into a very deep, dark depression, as I think a lot of people do in that valley of grief. Um, And some of the moments that I had in that valley really scared me um, because I didn't, I stopped feeling like my life was worth it and that my life was valuable. And that was a very scary feeling. And so after that, I for sure attributed those feelings to the grief I had felt. And so I was scared of having to feel that grief again, which the longer we live, the more people we lose and the more grief we feel. And honestly, I know this sounds weird and I don't say it in any way to like make light of it. Um, but that grief is such an honor and, you know, we're the lucky ones who get to carry it, um, for the person whose life was lost. Um, so I had a long a long chat with my boss about this, and um, he's he's in his forties, and um, when he was uh, in his twenties, he lost his grandfather, and his he, he said to me, he was like thinking about your experience has brought me to tears like many many times, and um, and he was like, but I like the pain. I I wouldn't have it any other way because what a gift it is to love someone so much that it's physic it's physically painful mm-hmm. that they're not there. And um, I grew up with four of my grandparents and a great grandmother, and that's that's a gift. And you know, having parents and siblings and cousins and this and that. And um, there's so many people out there that that don't have that gift or they don't have those relationships. So yeah, I, I a million percent agree with you that um, the pain is like a badge or a, not a badge, but a, it's a gift. Yeah. It's a gift. It it's a gift. Way to describe yeah. it. Yeah, definitely. So let's, let's try and wrap on a, um, let's bring it back to hope yeah. and, and bravery. Um, what are the mantras that that you focus on when when things get tough? A big one for me is staying in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and a good example of that was Western states um, when early on, you know, 
probably less than 25 miles in and you're starting to feel tired. And I was thinking to myself, <laughs> oh, 75 my miles to go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And if I, if I let myself focus too much on how much, how many miles I have left to go, it was way too overwhelming and it would have been way too easy to give up. So just recentering myself and staying and really encouraging myself to stay in the moment, um, was critical. And I think that applies to every area of life and especially during times of uncertainty, because if we start to think too far ahead, and again, I mean, when there's so much uncertainty, it's looming and it feels really overwhelming. And so just bringing it back to the moment and staying centered in the moment, um, hopefully can help mitigate that anxiety about the great unknown um, a little bit, while at the same time acknowledging that the uncertainty inevitably is going to bring some anxiety. But actually, there's a quote I really like, and I had shared it, I think, yesterday um, um, by this guy, and I'm going to botch it, but basically he says, when it comes to uncertainty, there's we don't we don't know enough and we can't know enough to justify despair and passivity and i think that's I such that. a cool way of framing uncertainty you know like so in so much of our narrative uncertainty is a bad thing is you know this big scary monster with no face um that's hunting us down but we could we have no evidence for that and we could eat as equally say that it's this benevolent expanse um, where we get to play a role in creating what it becomes. Um, And he's right. Like we don't know enough to justify complete and utter despair. We don't know enough to completely give up. Um, And so it's just kind of spinning that uncertainty and focusing on the possibilities and the hope inherent to that uncertainty as opposed to the fear. Amazing. Um, I think that's a perfect place to, to wrap, to wrap up here. Um, if, if people want to follow along, I don't know why they wouldn't, uh, where can, where can we find you on social? Sure. I'm most active on Instagram and my handle is Ladia Hallie and shoot me a message. If you ever want to chat, I love, you know, chatting as Jonathan knows. <laughs> uh, so thanks so much for listening. And thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of your beautiful podcast. I just love the conversations you're having and the way that you've followed your curiosity. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being a part of it. And, uh, and we'll see you out there. Yeah, sounds good. Bye. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next week on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you've enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too.